a mound of dirt producing a, per, a personal effect. He said, there is nothing in our experience that would tell us that would be the case. Um, a third possibility is that personality is an illusion. You'll find this in, in, from uh, Eastern thought, Hinduism, Buddhism. Personality is, is an illusion. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Schaefer argues, man cannot live consistently with that idea. Man has to live like he is a personal being who has an intellect, emotions, and will, and that as a human being uh, who has personality, he has dignity, or she has dignity, and deserves to be treated in a, a certain way. Um, and so Schaefer argues that man cannot live consistently with his view. Uh, Hindus and, and Buddhists who may deny the existence of the physical world, they still have to eat physical food in order to live. You know, you could deny, um, the, uh, Christian scientists deny the existence of the physical world, but they still have to eat food. And if somebody were to hit them, they would be upset and either fight back or call the police or whatever. So they cannot live consistently with their worldview. And the only other option is that everything had a personal start and Schaefer said, this alone adequately explains the mannishness of man, the personality of man. In other words, personal beings exist, and therefore we need a personal cause. The cause of the universe uh, must himself be a personal being. Okay? And so Schaefer argued along those lines and argued if you reject that, you end up in contradiction. And the, and the contradiction either causes you to despair or you just take a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm and just live with your contradictions. Uh, Schaefer's method of evangelism, um, when witnessing, he would start where the non-believer is and bring the non-believer's thought to its logical conclusion. Okay? So he would sit down and say, well, what's your view of God? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, too often we want to cram the Bible down people's throats, but we don't want to give them the time of day. We say, you know, I, I want you to listen to my religious views, but I'm not going to listen to yours. Schaefer loved people enough to listen to them. And, uh, and t today we've got some views. It's hard to keep a straight face to listen to people's views sometimes, uh, but if you love them enough, uh, you can do it. But anyway, he would take their thought and bring it to his logical conclusion which is either despair, you know, Shaver would say, well, if your views are correct, there's no meaning to life. How can you even go on living? So the person's left with the choice between despair or a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm, and then Shaver would remind them, yeah, but that's really not a ra the rational thing to do. So it's either despair or a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm or give Christianity a second look. You know, Western culture, you know, we talk about Christianity as being outdated and that type of thing. Schaefer was arguing that modern man didn't even realize if God is dead, not only is truth dead and morality dead and meaning dead, but man is also dead. And so Schaefer argued um, that if you want 
To bring back meaning to life, the only way to do that is to acknowledge God as the author of meaning and the creator of man. A uh, couple examples, John Cage was an existentialist music, musician, and John Cage, he had the ability to play beautiful classical music, but he was an existentialist. He believed that we got here randomly through chance, that there was no God, that there's no meaning to life. And so Cage wanted to get this point across to people um, in his performances. And so uh, he would do things like uh, he would flip a coin, okay, to determine what the next note would be. Okay, so he would write compositions that made no sense at all. He'd get up there and it would sound like, you know, um, four-year-olds, going to town on musical instruments, okay? People would boo him. Sometimes they would throw lettuce and tomatoes at him, okay? And then, of course, there'd always be one existentialist out there who would get the message and would stand up and with a tear rolling down her cheek would applaud and give him a standing ovation while everybody else is trying to lambast him with tomatoes, okay? Um, um, and Schaefer argues that most of the people in that audience had the same view, worldview that he did. And that their anger, they thought they were angry at him. You know, I spent $50 for these tickets and, and you can't even play a meaningful song. And, you know, they thought they were angry at him. And Shaver was saying he was just giving them what their worldview. See, if there is no God, guess what? There's no difference between music and non-music. There's no meaning. Music is, is creativity. No difference between creativity and destruction if there is no God. Um, Cage, sometimes sometimes he'd be standing up taking a bow, not only with the crowd boo, but sometimes the orchestra behind him who had to play this garbage, they started hissing and booing him. Uh, one of his songs is called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, John Cage. We would sit down at a piano. Well, that's a nice piano up there. He'd sit down uh, at a piano and he'd lift the, the, the wooden thing. I'm not a musician, so I don't know what it is. I'll call it a wooden thing. He'd lift the wooden thing up to expose the keys. He'd crack his knuckles, and then he'd start a, a stopwatch. And he'd wait for four minutes and 33 seconds, and then he'd turn it off, and then he'd put the thing down, and then he'd stand up and take a bow as the crowd starts booing, and if they had tomatoes, you know the rest of the story. But, uh, um... You see, what he was saying was, we live in a random universe, there is no God, there's no meaning to life, therefore there is no difference between music and non-music. And most of the people in that audience, there could, there could have been atheists in that audience, and they don't even see that if there's no God, then what John Cage did was no less artistic than what Beethoven did. Um, but the thing is, Schaefer points out, John Cage could not live consistently with that worldview. He could do it on a stage, but he was a connoisseur of mushrooms. And Cage openly admitted, if I applied my beliefs in a random chance universe to my eating of mushrooms, I would be dead within a day or two. And if he just went out and just, and instead of looking at mushrooms saying, okay, this is poisonous, don't eat this one. Okay, here's a non-poisonous one, I can eat this one. If he, if he acted like everything is random, he would die. And so he said that it bothered him. He could not live consistently with his worldview. 
when it came to the eating of mushrooms. Another example that Schaefer gave, he was talking at a, uh, uh, a college dorm, <clears throat> and a Hindu student began to argue with him. And then Schaefer said, well, if your worldview is correct, because God is ultimately impersonal and beyond moral values, if your God is correct, then there is no difference ultimately between cruelty and non-cruelty. And the Hindu student said, yeah, that's correct. At that point, the tea kettle began to uh, whistle. Hot boiling water uh, was ready for, for them to make tea. And so one of the other students, as soon as the, the Hindu student said that, went and grabbed the, the kettle of hot boiling water and pulled a chair up next to the Hindu student, stood on top of the chair, and held the kettle over the head of the Hindu student. So the Hindu student looked up and asked the obvious, you know, what are you doing? And the other student said, there's no difference between cruelty and non-cruelty. Now at that point, the Hindu student was, could have said, okay, I give... I need a new worldview, but he didn't. Schaefer said that he just walked out into the night without a word. Um, we live in a world that has thrown the God of the Bible out the window. We have turned our back on the God of the Bible, and we're just beginning to realize that if the God of the Bible does not exist, there is no difference between cruelty and non-cruelty. And we might, you know, we Americans, we've had this thing called freedom for so long, we might think, oh, no, that, that can't happen, that can't happen. It has happened. You know, I, I said Europe is usually, you know, 20 to 40 years ahead of America. Well, Germany is usually 20 to 40 years ahead of Europe. And look what happened in Germany because of the rejection of the Bible. Germany led the way in higher criticism. German theologians were the first ones to question uh, the divine authorship of the scriptures. They were the first ones to reject Moses as the author of scriptures. Um, and uh, next thing you know, what came in to fill the void? The Nazi movement. And... Uh, and so we live in a day and age where there's no dif difference between cruelty and non-cruelty because we've thrown out the God of the Bible, uh, the God uh, of meaning. Um, I think there's a lot that we can learn from Schaefer, um, but I think the most important point was that what Schaefer called the final apologetic. He quoted from John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Schaefer argued that uh, basically the best defense of the Christian faith is to love others with the love of the Lord, to show them that we really care. And uh, I think that's the, the, probably the best thing that we can do. Yeah, we need to study their ideas, we need to study the Word, um, we need to dialogue with them, but when everything's said and done, we need to spend time with people and show them we love them. Christianity is not just handing a tract to somebody on a street corner, telling them to read John 3.16, and then saying, okay, so long, you won't see me again. Sometimes I, I, I think we're going to have to sit down 
and share a cup of coffee and a meal with somebody and, and actually spend a few months building a relationship with them before they're even going to listen to what we have to say. Um, Paul tells us, speak the truth in love. And uh, I think Francis Schaeber, some, some of his ideas I didn't agree with him on, but for the most part, I think he had a great system of thought. But when everything's said and done, he spoke the truth in love. He loved people. He loved them enough to study their weird ideas, to learn how to refute them from the scriptures, spend time with them. Um, but he spoke the truth, never gave up on the truth. He spoke the truth, but he spoke the truth in love. And uh, I don't think we can do uh, any less. Um, I don't even know what time this ends. This ends in, what, another five minutes? Another five minutes. So we, we have time for some questions, if anybody has questions. Yes, sir. Yeah, the gentleman said that um, when you take God out of things, you, you move in that direction that Nazi Germany went in, and, and he used the example of the, of the white Aryans. Let me just give you my spin on that, though. These white Aryan movements that are out there, okay, they are as bad as bad can be. But the fact of the matter is, they would be almost totally non-existent if it wasn't for all the free airtime they get from CNN. I mean, you get guys who have, you know, some fly-by-night weirdo racist who has 12 guys in his following. But CNN gives the guy enough press, enough airtime, because CNN wants to make everybody think everything is so bad in America that we need bigger and bigger government to protect us. So CNN blows it out of proportion. Next thing you know, the guy's got 20,000 followers from all over the country. So CNN wants to stop that stuff. Just stop, stop giving them the press. I, I wish CNN would give my church some bad press. My church would quadruple in size with bad press in CNN. Um, so if CNN really wants CNN to the promise, stop. So, so I really, the, the sad thing is, um, I don't think, I think in most times when there's a wolf in wolf's clothing, most people see it and oppose it. But it's when the wolf comes in sheep's clothing that we get fooled. These white Aryan groups, they're wolves in wolves' clothing. They're not going to get real, real big. Yeah, we should oppose them. No matter how much publicity they get from CNN, we should oppose them and, 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 uh, and all. But the fact of the matter is, we've got Nazis in our midst that CNN and the media proclaim as being great people. I don't know if he still teaches there, but Peter Singer, an ethicist, was teaching at Princeton. I might even get the chance to meet the guy. He believes if a baby's born with deformities, you kill it. And he, he's, got, he's got tenure. This guy's probably making over $100,000 a year, well over $100,000 a year, and he's looked up to as a brilliant thinker, and he's basically saying the same thing. He has the same view that Adolf Hitler has about deformed children. What, what do you say that... <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's the whole animal right, the whole animal rights movement. My spin on that is, um, you can't have rights without responsibility. And um, 
animals, you know, I, we don't arrest an an, a, a lion for killing another lion, you know. So, uh, I mean, they don't have... Uh, the reason why I don't go out and just slaughter animals indiscriminately is because they're gifts to us from God. And we should be faithful stewards uh, of everything that God has given us. But for someone to have rights, it also comes with responsibilities that animals don't have and can't handle. Yeah. Uh, you, you said that you said pastors who have, okay. Yeah, yeah there, there, there's, um, I'll tell you, yeah, yeah I, I, I think we do. I, I, I think the, the, the tough question is, um, can we evangelize them while, while going to their churches? In other words, should, should we maybe pack up and say, hey, you know, God has left the room and, and go to another church and in the meantime, have a cup of coffee with the guy and evangelize the guy. Because uh, if a pastor's deep into postmodernism and, and into uh, liberal, quote-unquote, Christian thought, chances are the gospel's not even going to be preached from the pulpit. But what's really scary, though, is there are evangelical pastors that are now going postmodern in their thought. And uh, that is really... Uh, really bad. And it all, they'll, they'll slam me. Even in Seattle, Saturday, we've got a few... They'll slam me over and over again for being too modernistic, being too rational, for talking about defending the Bible in a, in a propositional form, propositional truth. But as they're, and they're saying that I should present the gospel as narrative. But as they're defending their views, I, I, let them, I just let them talk for 20 minutes. And then I say, you know, I tell them, I said, tell me a story. I haven't heard a story. You've been talking for 20 minutes. And all I hear is this modernistic, rationalistic, propositional truth. You can't defend, they can't defend their narratives with a narrative. Why should they expect us to defend the gospel with a narrative, you know? And, but I do think, one thing I do think that the postmodern corrective on modernism is this, uh, the four spiritual laws worked during modernistic times, but as we get away from rationalistic thinking, um, we can't throw reason out the window, obviously, but we have turned the, the Bible into four boring principles, the gospel message, when it's the greatest story ever told. So we have to return to the gospel message, its beauty, its, its mystery, and, and those, those, those uh, poetic aspects, um, you know, that we just, you know, thrown out the window. We've got to stop pretending that the gospel is boring, okay? At the same time, does that mean that we throw reason out the window? No, but uh, but yeah, you, 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 liberal or postmodern pastors, we need to pray for them, we need to witness to them, we need to try to disciple. It's, it, you know, the American church is hurting when the lay people have to start discipling the pastors, but it's becoming more and more common. So, yes, sir. Well, who, who should we be looking to now? Church is gone. Who are, who are on the leading edge of uh, theological philosophy? Um, there's quite a few really solid Christian thinkers that are out there. Um, my, my old professor, Gary Habermas, is leading the way with historical evidence of the Christian faith. William Lane Craig, J.P. Moreland, uh, two other bright spots. Uh, but as far as a guy that's kind of filling in the gap where that's left by Schaefer, I would say more of Robbie Zacharias. Um, 
uh, or an Oz Guinness who was a pupil uh, of Francis Schaeffer. Those are two examples, but uh, I'm sure if I, uh, if I just sat down and thought about it for a while, I could probably come up with a list of about 25 or, or, or 30 guys. There are a lot of guys that are out there that are doing a dynamite job. Unfortunately, the Christian church today, the average Christian would rather buy a book that teaches me how to love me more rather than buying a book that really asks me to actively learn the ideas of the unsaved so that I can really have something, understand where they're coming from and present the, the gospel to them on their level. Uh, we would much rather learn how to love ourselves more. Uh, but before I take any questions, uh, um, I don't know if, if there's another guy who's going to be speaking in here another minute or so. And I, oh, 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 they're taking a little break. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I got most of my uh, most of my education came through Liberty University out of Virginia. Um, I, I got a Master of Arts in Religion over there, and uh, and then I finished up with a, a PhD from a secular school, Greenwich University. Um, and I, my dissertation was on on apologetics, trying to define exactly what it was, what the parameters are uh, for apologetics. Um, but um, as far as the institute that I had, it just uh, a nonprofit organization that um, specializes in defending the faith and teaching other uh, Christians how to defend the faith, and then we take debates uh, when they're offered. And uh, it's a small organization that, you know, just a few hundred dollars a month they come in, and we use that the, those funds to uh, uh, to publish books. By, by the way, did did we? Okay, yes. Yeah. We brought, uh, my, my latest book was a debate I did with one of America's leading atheists over the internet, Dr. Michael Martin. And uh, you can take on the way out, if you want, just go out this way, you can get a free book, um, and then there's free cassettes, and just, you know, take them till they're gone. So, uh, uh, the let's, uh, I just on the, uh, it, it, we, all, we always try to put it somewhere where no one can see it, so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of been the story of uh, our ministry, uh, um, yeah, we, we, you know, some ministries can't sell stuff. We can't even give stuff away, right? Um, but, uh... Well, one, 